everyone, and welcome back to the Whale Nerds Podcast. This is episode number 70. My name is Slater, and I'm here with Eric and Caitlin. Hey, everyone. Hello. Adam. OG crew. Woo-woo. What's Adam doing? Sanding boats? Um, I think, well, top coating. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Eating chicken nuggets. Adam could make it today. I'll join him if he's eating chicken nuggets. <laughs> drive all the way to Santa Barbara for chicken nuggets. <laughs> Well, uh, if it really there is something that that does have chicken in it in Santa Barbara, it's probably the best sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. It's a jalapeno what? spread. It's like a a jalapeno jelly that's on a spicy chicken sandwich. But I think they use the waffle as the bun. I don't know. It was crazy. <laughs> Adam showed it to me. See, when Slater talks about waffles, you're not sure if he's kidding or if he's serious. <laughs> yeah, he does bring up waffles a lot. Oh yeah, where was that place back home? Bruxy, that was actual waffles. Chicken and waffles? Yeah. They had waffles for instead of bread for their sandwiches. I don't think they have it here in Central California. Welcome to the Waffle Podcast. Well, uh, sightings this week for me is a big whopping beta fish. (laughs) Oh, cool. (laughs) Romeo's still alive and well. No, Romeo passed away. Way to bring it up. You ruined the podcast. I'm sorry. This one, what did we name this this guy? Uh, Shakespeare. <laughs> Are you serious? Are gonna Shakespeare? Yeah. <laughs> preach, lunch feed. Um. Guess what? What? Well, I guess starting Monday, I'll be on. We got a boat, so we'll be going. We'll be starting to head out on the water starting Monday in Newport. So. Did you say you got a boat? I didn't get a boat, but like. Oh, okay. Yeah. He has a boat he can use. Yeah, okay. so I'll be heading out on the water. Hopefully, we'll go find some common dolphins and gray whales. To start off. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> it wouldn't be Set Newport bar, without starting off with comments. Low, dude. Set the bar low. You know what? I'm going to see freaking Eastern Tropical Pacifics on the first day. I'm going to be so mad if you do. I've seen them, so. I haven't. They're on my list. ETPs, offshore killer whales, residents, leatherbacks. Okay, hold on. I've Wait, seen Caitlin's I was there those. with you the day that you got the shark footage. Offshore. Offshore, um... Offshore leopard zebra shark. You guys are making stuff up now. Jaguar shark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, Eric, what did you see on the ocean? Uh, gray whales. Uh, white side. <laughs> Snorter right whale dolphins versus dolphins. Uh, one bottle nose. <laughs> what else has been going on? My humpbacks Any have disappeared. Humpbacks? Uh, I I did one like two weeks ago, and I re- recognized it as a as a cap. So it's like just hanging out here. And mom probably went, "See ya, I'm going south." Yeah. Has it not uh, been that crazy though, Eric? Uh, you know what? The the amount of gray whales has been good. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, so we were the only boat to see like okay. So Sea Goddess, one of their passengers and their net. Well, one of their passengers yells out. You know, they're going back towards Moss. Yells out, "Orca!" And you know. And then the naturalist kind of like turns his head in uh, her, I think it was her that day, her head in time, and uh, kind of sees a glimpse of, of a few dorsal fins. <laughs> and they just disappear. <laughs> so we go back to the area to go help out. We see them. And they just disappear. It's like one of those. And then that was the morning trip, right? The second trip. After seeing a whole bunch of gray whales and those orca, you know, during the first trip. Second trip, the entire fleet got skunked. I've yeah. never in here in Monterey Bay, the entire fleet at the peak see, of gray whale season. Yeah, did not see. So those three orca just freaking scared the snot yeah. out of everyone. So it's pretty. I say you probably have to go like past Point Lobos and yeah. get really close to shore to find any of them. Yeah, I mean it wasn't bad visibility. It, usually it's bad visibility and bad seas that cause us to skunk here, you know, Monterey Bay. But no, I think they just scared the bejesus out of all the gray whales and. Somewhere, somewhere on a hard drive, I have photos and videos of gray whales doing that snorkeling behavior where literally all you see break the surface is a pair of blue holes. Yeah. It's nuts. There's that like place you that, don't see their yeah. breath, you just see the blow. Oh holes. yeah. Yeah. Like the cliff that all of us hang out of one day. Was it was Slater, were you with me? No, I don't think you were with me that one day. So that spot that we go to, we saw a gray whale in Big Sur. It like swam in front of me. And then it turned around, but that entire time it probably moved, I kid you not, probably a little over a half mile 
it was that clear and that flat. I could see it below the surface. It did not come up for a single breath, you know. And I oh, had those days, yeah, where actually, yeah, it come up and then you don't even see a blow. It's like, what the heck? Remember yeah. when I moved back to Newport the last time? Yeah. <laughs> well, I took one of those boat little boats out and by myself, and I was following a gray whale. I followed it for like two miles, and I only could see it from the drone. I never saw it from the boat. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy how they can go into stealth mode like that. Yeah. Not two miles, like like not even a mile, but it was like I followed it for so long and I never saw it from the boat. I just yeah. saw every time I only saw uh, fluke prints. Yeah. But I've seen that with humpbacks too, where they'll come up and you won't even hear or see anything. Not a drop of water leave that blowhole. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. You're like, how do you do that? Yeah. Eric, do you remember that, that day where impressive. we saw we saw dorsal fins and then we never saw them again, but we saw Rizzo's, but yep. we swear you and I yep. both saw killer whales. Yeah, it was like four of us who saw it, like four guys who know what they're doing. I think we were with Chris, Chris, and then it was either like Andrew was our deckhand or someone. We all look to the left. We all see Not one. All four of you are qualified. Oh, well, yeah, we'll I'm, more, I'm the most one, qualified. We we'll see one big black dorsal fin, and we're like, ah! And then, yeah, it just ninja vanished, so... It's crazy. And Boom. the best part is, like, there's days when that happens, and there's literally four boats around you, and then you know, you know, you got some badass animals that are just wanting to disappear. Yep. Well, I saw humpback whales and bottlenose dolphins and spinner dolphins. Oh, nice. Um, one snorkel trip, we actually got to see all three species on a single trip, which was pretty amazing. Oh. Um. <laughs> Uh, I like and, spinner and dolphins. That's the first time I've seen spinner dolphins since I've been back. I've been here like two months and I hadn't seen spinner dolphins. Were they doing it? No, they're just cruising on the shoreline, resting, napping. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. Lots of turtles, obviously. Um, what kind of turtles? Green sea turtles. Any ladderbacks? No. It's not likely. Um, and then... I feel like there's something else, but I forgot. Oh, I want to go to that little turtle pond right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been um, it's been pretty good out here. So there's lots of whales, lots of baby whales, um, and good whale song pretty much all day, every day. Cool. Yeah, things have been. We've been pretty busy too, which is really nice. Yeah, I think because California reopened. Like, there was a weird lull when California's locked down, and now all of a sudden, like, I have so many people from, like, Bay Area and SoCal. Right. They're like, I'm like, where are you from? San Jose, where are you from? Uh, San Francisco, where are you from? Uh, Newport. I'm like, all of California is now in Maui. Maybe they found that $99 deal. No, <laughs> not real. It's not I real. That's one way. It was not so that makes sense Dude, if it's one hundred. I would. Uh, that's nothing. But it's like you have to count in the fact that you have to go do a test, which you yeah. may or may not have to pay, depending on insurance and stuff. But then you have to factor in that it's going to be a billion dollars to stay there. Yeah. Unless you know someone, which I do know someone, and he did say I could stay. But yeah, maybe next so, year. I guess. Yeah, that's been my sightings. Cool. Yeah. Also, just a quick reminder, Pacific Whale Foundation's first virtual festival of whales um, is ongoing. The film festival starts on the 19th, virtually, I think. So um, if you want to check out the films in the film festival and that kind of stuff, you can register. Um, let's see. The website is MauiWhaleFestival.org. And we put all of our show notes, including links to things like that, on our Facebook in the comments each time that we post the episode uh, link. So if you're always wondering, like, where are the notes and the links from the things that we talk about, they're on our Facebook page. Cool. Um, we also have another new patron since last time we recorded. So thanks Woo! so much for your support. Um, actually, I think we might have two more. Two, We're I up think. Up to ten. Yeah. So thank nice. you for joining us. Ten of the best. Yeah, awesome. and um, if you're interested awesome. in supporting us on Patreon, it's just uh, patreon.com slash whale nerds, so check it out there. Um, 
And then we have a couple pieces of news. One of them is not whale news, but it was too cool to pass up. Wow. Scientists cloned a ferret from cryo-preserved DNA. It's like 30-year-old DNA, too, wasn't it? Or something so like cool, that? yes. Yeah. So, it won't open for me, you guys. It's just It keeps bringing me to some survey. <laughs> Are you trying to hack my computer, Kaylin? <laughs> She's going to take all your games. No, for real. It's like. You want me to try and send it to you directly? Well, I don't know what's going on. There's like some ad that pops up, and then it like asks me to do a survey. Hang on, what's happening here? Because I'd like to see that ferret. It just looks like a ferret. My friend had a ferret. I just copied the link again. Try that. I don't know. Let me see. Oh, God, the ferret. Oh, dude, it shows. Okay, I'm taking the survey, but if I get a virus, dude. No, no, no. You should be able to close out the survey. <laughs> Don't get a virus on your computer. Okay. Just it says, Kaylin, you just gave all your credit card information to Kaylin Taylor. What? No, you did not. <laughs> just say, okay, the title of the article is First Clone of U.S. Endangered Species of Black Oh, I got it. I just did the one survey, dude. I, I put prefer not to share. I see it. You're freaking me out. So did it okay. start as a baby or just? So the DNA was frozen from over 30 years ago of uh, the last black-footed ferret that was in existence. Um, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was like, had a hand in it. Um, she's a genetic, basically this ferret is a genetic copy of a ferret named Willow who died in 1988, whose remains were frozen in the early days of DNA technology. So basically they like cloned it in the lab and then implanted the fertilized embryo into a domestic ferret foster mom, I think. And now that foster ferret is raising this little one. Um, so this is like one of the first like major steps in like potentially making dinosaurs. Yeah. Extinct and endangered species uh, from cloning. So, so will we have woolly mammoths? Could we save the vaquita? Um, well, <laughs> you I, know, like that's the kind of question. What about rhinos? The only thing is, is we saw how the vaquita did in captivity for that like two hours, and it didn't do but very it, well. But they? some places had success with harbor porpoises in captivity. So har could harbor porpoises be surrogates for mm -hmm. vaquita? You have produced them. That's the question. You know, like that's where this is going to go. I think is like. And then all, of course, people are like, oh, then can you clone humans? And it's like, there's already enough humans. Do we really Whoa. need to clone humans? Is that necessary? <laughs> One boat. Velociraptors and T-Rex. It's going to be so cool. No T-Rexes, please. Oh. I knew they'd figure it out. I knew they'd figure it out. Some. I mean, and they did Dolly, you know. Yeah. Things are just going to get. There's something in here. Um... Dolly. Sheep that they cloned. Wow. There was a company that will clone your pet cat for $35,000. Oh, yikes. That's um, so crazy. And it also does dogs for $50,000. Holy guaxers. Hilarious. Viagen. Why did you say Ingen? Viagen. Oh, it's added brought to you by Viagen. And they also have cloned um, a wild horse species from Mongolia. The same oh, company. Yeah. Those things look crazy. What? Um, oh, the 2,000 or so surviving horses are descendants from just a dozen animals. Wow. That's crazy. nuts. Yeah, so, they're just going to get better and better at that stuff. Life finds a way. <laughs> what if they clone a woolly mammoth? They would just use like an elephant or something? Probably. I guess. Closest wow. relative or yeah. Or female that can handle all that Sick. so they're saying that mammals are easier to clone than like birds because the challenge of eggs for birds um mm. yeah and one of the group's projects includes even trying to bring back a woolly mammoth yeah cool <laughs> well you could, I, do you remember those like documentaries that were always on like discovery channel and stuff about like they like go to the ice and they like find this little cell and they like bring it back and they're like, oh my god, we're gonna well, this this could be it. And it's like kind of like a, I don't know. It reminds me of a. Uh, you guys remember Monty's cave caveman caveman dogs dog 
story how and then literally how a week later they talk about the the frozen wolf with the I know what was it they were they were thawing in permafrost and they they realized there's disease semi-domesticated wolves yeah 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 yes actually Monty's gonna come up a lot in this episode just saying just buckle up friends really aliens Aliens. FaceTime continues? Well, they landed oh, yeah. on Mars, you ding-dings, with a rover yesterday. I watched it live, yeah. live on Twitch. How was that? So cool? Well, it was pretty cool. I did see them capture the first image. Image. Yeah. Well, it's not the first image, because they've already done it, but you know what I mean? Like, the first, first image when image they landed. that rover. Yeah. You guys remember the trailer for um, the uh, Transformers movie, where they land on that planet, and then you see a shadow of a, of a Transformer. Yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and what it reminded me of. <laughs> I know. What today. if some? What if someone just walked up and like to the camera and they just waved and then walked so away? Remember that? They'd be like, they probably like, wouldn't even. They probably wouldn't probably wouldn't even release that. Got to keep it a secret, you know? Yeah, they would have. Like, I bet it's on some kind of time delay in case something I mean, crazy like that happens. It wasn't live. No I'm kidding. It probably had a plan. <laughs> Did like, it really like, happen? Was it a yeah. movie set? Yeah, like an alien shows up, like cut the feed or something like that. Why are there two shadows? Have they released more pictures from it? I think so. And release some of the communications that the rover sends back to base, too. Um, so the other piece of news is Eric actually uh, sent this to me. How long ago was this article published? This is from last year, but we he stumbled upon it the other day. And um, this paleontologist was contacted by a guy. In, he works in Egypt, and he's contacted by uh, a contractor in Egypt who's cutting pieces of limestone for kitchen countertops and he was like whoa we found a fossil and the guy yeah. from the university that he had called was like okay cool and then he gets out there and he's like it's a whole whale so what? um it I'm was looking like at the photo five, of it um on the link in the article it's like five slabs that they cut when they realized what it was that it was like one whole skeleton Oh, it was this way. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. They cut. yeah, okay. Yeah. And the guy, the contractor was nice enough to donate all of the sample for free to the university. Um, Dude, how will really they, cool. will they, you think they'll sand it out and get it out? Yeah, they're working on like articulating and documenting it and stuff. Yeah. Um, they said that the bones belong to a proto today, um, which is a member of the group of Eocene whales, your favorite time later um which is a step in evolution from land to sea for um for whales so it has a complete skull a mandible most of the backbone limbs and ribs and they think that this is an amphibious species that still had strong enough legs to support them on land as well as swim in the water and it was up to five meters long so like 15 16 feet long and weighed about 900 kilograms, um, so almost 2,000 pounds. Yeah, just that skull portion you can see is pretty big, and the Yo, teeth is pretty yeah. cool, too. Eric, Google it right now. What? It, the Google Proto C today. Oh, yeah, I've seen them. It looks like a harbor seal <laughs> meets a frog. <laughs> yeah. And a freaking turkey. Yeah, it's pretty All insane. But what's funny is like, okay, so these places, the quarries that get these like marble slabs, limestone slabs, whatever for these places, they always run into stuff. In fact, there's a few cases where some of these slabs are installed in places before they even realize there's something, you know, some type of fossil in them. The most famous, yeah, the most famous case, this is kind of ironic. Um, (laughs) uh, One of the most famous cases, I think is in Italy, there's a cathedral where there's a dinosaur skull uh yeah yeah you know and we don't want to get into religion and evolution but you know (laughs) so there's a dinosaur in in the cathedral yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and slater this is only two thousand years ago and orange county people any of my orange county friends here listeners might want to check this out slater you might have noticed it too or been into this spot main place mall in santa Ana, the men's room by the food court uh, if you go in there, that bathroom, there's ammonites all over that bathroom oh, because uh. they use slabs of, uh, I don't know if it's marble or what, but yeah, there's ammonites think, and other fossils all over. Do you think yeah. that was intentional? Like that was a decor piece or like that was incidental? 
Sometimes it's intentional and there it's really yeah. expensive. Um, in I've fact, another yeah, another neat thing is I don't even remember the name. I've been gone from Southern California for, for, for so long. But the tallest building in, in downtown LA, when they built the foundation for that, they dug really deep and they dug up a bunch of like rock with like you know shells embedded with that. All that went to one of those countertop businesses too. They just basically cut pieces and polished them, and there's people with pieces of the bottom of downtown LA as their kitchen tops, you know, embedded with. If I hit it big time, I want my countertop stuff fossils in them. I, I forgot the name of that building. The, the tallest it's the Wilshire Grand Center. It's the US, US Bank Tower. Aon. I think it's, is it the US Bank one? I think it's the I don't US. Know. Or there's Aon Center, two California Plaza. There's a lot of them. Yeah, but they dug like super deep, obviously, to build that foundation. You know, and they came up with a bunch of like rock with just marine fossils embedded in them. Nice. So awesome. Yeah, but met, main place uh, men's bathroom. You're gonna look really weird looking at the wall, but yeah, there's ammonites and other fossils in there somebody will have to send me pictures or clear the bathroom so i can go look. yeah you can pee and look at fossils it's pretty <laughs> i'm doing science here can you back the <laughs> <laughs> excuse me excuse me andy my space i'm examining the wall <laughs> okay so um the next update is from whale tales eric have you had a chance to watch any of it yet no i didn't yeah okay I watched the most of the first day, um, so I'll just give you guys kind of a little preview of what was on there. Um, a lot of it was just kind of brief notes and check-ins from scientists all over the world, and then there was a few like more breakout discussion type things, and then I haven't watched the question and answer panel all the way yet from the end of the first day. But um, some couple, couple cool notes. Um, one of them was from John Ford, who's actually a bioacoustics guy up in Canada. Um, he does a lot of work with killer whale vocalizations, but he actually talked more about uh, humpbacks in the Salish Sea. And so he kind of gave some context information about uh, the productivity and like the marine mammal populations of the Salish Sea in uh, historical context. And then he talked about when whaling came to the Salish Sea. It only took three years to remove all the humpback whales from the Salish Sea once the whaling station was established there. Doesn't that blow your mind? Three yeah. years. And they removed all the humpback whales from the Salish Sea. And then for about 100 years, they were gone from the area. And then now they're starting to see a recolonization from 2010 onwards, which is really cool. Um, so I just so thought that weird. was kind of like, that was one of those things where I like paused the video and like replayed it. Cause I was like, did he did just say, say that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Ted <sighs> from Happy Whale was on there and he had a cool little update about their project. Um, they are pretty confident that they have now in their database identified more than half, maybe as much as 65% of all living adult humpback whales in the North Pacific from the last 20 years. Woohoo! Uh, Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Like, that's amazing coverage. How many do they say are in our population? How, I want, not how many do they say? How many do you think he has? Does he know? They're at over 100,000 images, but that's worldwide. Um, and that includes, I think, all the repeats. So all the identified images that are, like, documented in Happy Whale. I'm, like, waiting so, for the ones I saw in Iceland to finally be seen. Maybe we should ask him to be a guest. Oh, yeah, that would be smart, probably. Yeah, yeah. we can talk to Ted. Um, the other project that had a really cool update that he didn't actually talk about explicitly, but I was, like, looking at his maps while he was talking, was a researcher from Mingan Island Cetacean Study, which is in the Gulf of St. Lawrence in Canada. Um, one of the fin whales that they tagged uh, in one of their projects swam all the way from the Gulf of St. Lawrence to South Florida, and back to the Gulf of St. Lawrence, all off the continental shelf. That's nice. That's wow. insane. Like, yeah. what a range for one animal. Dude, St. Lawrence, I, I, I couldn't believe it. The, the whale watching is good there. <laughs> yeah, I want to go there when yeah. it's reopened. Yeah, I couldn't believe what I saw over there. I was like, this place is awesome. Yeah. So that was super cool. Yeah. Um, and then... Wait, Kaylin. Does Fred Sharp and uh, does he look at whales in Alaska? Yeah. Wow. He's doing, that... a bubble, 
he's doing a bubble project right now that's more like a global thing um but he did the original critter cam footage with bubble net feeding humpbacks in alaska and he still wow. does work up there one he's got lots of stuff on happy whale two he's seen a whale that i've seen but i saw it in hawaii and he's seen it in alaska yeah he um he's one of the main scientific advisors of alaska whale foundation are you on happy whale right now slater yeah i just want uh, to check something real quick um uh, but a couple a couple of the whales that I saw last year in Maui are in Maui again right now. They were yeah. seen on in January. So So um the other person that I just have a brief note for before I like get into the nitty gritty of um the main like theme of topics from day one was Andrew Stevenson, who works off mostly off Bermuda, so Caribbean hump North Atlantic humpback breeding ground. Um and he has been observing them above and below the surface. So drone work, topside work, and in-water work. Trying to figure out what the whales are doing off the coast of Bermuda in particular. It seems to be sort of a transitory area, but also maybe a potentially a birthing ground, um, the more data he's collected. And he has seen humpbacks feeding opportunistically off Challenger Bank off the coast of Bermuda. So that kind of muddies the waters as far as like, fasting during migration i yeah. mean i always say like if there's food around i'm sure they go, go for it, it. Yeah. yeah yeah and so that kind of validates yeah that kind of validates that he also had some cool footage of whales exfoliating themselves in the sand in the sand huh yeah they like roll around in the sand patches on the bottom what kind of, what kind of whale oh humpbacks uh okay I, when you said on the sand i was thinking like on the sand sand like on the beach <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, like, no, no. Like they dive down whoa. in the sand patch and like rub around in it. Super cool. Yeah, I've heard that like rocks cool. and rocks and boulders, but sand. Yeah, that's yeah. Which, that, you don't hear more whales doing that. Yeah, which further validates you know the Pittman theory about skin maintenance and migration and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, so that was super cool. But what really blew my mind was the stuff about whale song. So, um. I'll talk a little bit about like current studies and then I'm going to talk a lot more about Roger Payne and here's where the aliens are going to come in is the Roger Payne stuff. Aliens. Um, so Jim, Jim Darling is like the main whale song dude in Maui. He works a lot with like Mark Lammers and Adam Pack and a couple other people's, but he's like one of the longest running whale song researchers in the Hawaiian islands. Um, so he, he kind of did some breakdowns and updates about songs. One of the things that I took away from it was that when whales compose a song, the song has multiple themes, right? Um, but the themes that make up the song may not have equal length in the song. Like if you made it a pie chart, like one theme might be 50%, another theme might only be 10%. Like they're not equal ratios in the song it's not like they always have like a quarter of this is one theme a quarter. like if they have four themes it's not that those four themes aren't equally distributed through the length of the song oh. that makes sense yeah that these songs sense. are getting it seems like these songs are really getting torn apart lately because that paper i sent you to is still yeah and that paper is going to kind of blow some of this other stuff that i'm talking about out of yeah it. yeah so then uh, the main thing that Jim presented on the day one talks was a comparison of songs across three years from breeding grounds off the Philippines, Japan, Hawaii, and Mexico. And I think it's important to distinguish that there are actually two uh, Western Pacific humpback, North, Northwestern Pacific humpback whale breeding grounds. There is one off the Philippines. Um, and there was an organization from the Philippines on there kind of talking about hey, we're, like, new at this, and, like, we've been doing this for a few years. COVID's made it really difficult. Like, if you want to support our work, here's our website, here's our social media, stuff like that, because it's a pretty um, new endeavor over there. Like, it's a new priority for them. So Philippines, Japan, Hawaii, and Mexico. Um, Mexico's song changed the most over the course of their three-year study, um, and basically the, the simplest conclusion they've come out of uh is that the song is an ongoing but annually variable mixing of humpback whales across the north pacific is what's kind of the mechanism for song change eric has a another thing he sent me that's going to kind of muddy that idea 
Um, and then there was a woman, Dr. Garland, studying South Pacific humpback whale songs um, on all of the, uh, from like Eastern Australia across all the islands of the South Pacific. There's like seven different breeding grounds, I think. Um, and she's there. Their study tracks this very clear stepwise movement eastward year to year. Like the song just like goes through this like fluttering transformation eastward over the course of several years. It starts in Eastern Australia and moves across the South Pacific Island locations, which is interesting. Um, and she said that kind of puts this whole like synchrony versus harmony question into play. Like are the whales trying to synchronize with each other? Or are they trying to harmonize with each other because like they're all singing out of sync, right? And it takes a while for the song to move across the South Pacific. So are they copying each other? Are they just trying to uh, harmonize with each other where they pick elements that they like and then the song transforms from there? She's like, it just throws a whole bunch of questions into it, like, because it does change over time, right? But like it changes with a pattern so it's kind of cool to hear her kind of parse that out for a little bit but then roger Payne, which i've been told some of this is in his book uh called among whales which is next on my reading list Ooh. he talked about he first clarified okay humans and whales are separated by like 53 million years on planet earth right like it's very unlikely that humans and whales have been eavesdropping on each other's songs to any great degree, right? Like whales and humans one-on-one -on -one don't inter interact like that. But somehow whales and humans use many of the same compositional rules for song. Um, and then he also had the question of, so how can whale song evoke such emotion in humans? Like sometimes people hear whale song and they cry on the boat. Like how does, yeah. that, how does that get people that worked up? It's not from their species. We don't understand what they're saying. There's something just like that gets to the core of people. Yeah. So his question was, does the vertebrate brain find only a small array of sounds attractive? Um, is there some sort of vertebrate shared single acoustic aesthetic? Is there something that like our old, old, old parts of our brain likes best? And that's what we're connecting with. Um, and then could that aesthetic in whale song and human song come from a common ancestor that predates humans and whales? Like, is our vertebrate ancestor somewhere along the lines had liked this aesthetic and it played a role in our survival? And now, like, the laws of song predate the existence of both humans and whales, and we follow them and we don't even realize them. Yeah. Um, and then he was like, if you break down music as energy and you look at the way that energy moves across the universe, like galaxies are moving with the energy of the Big Bang. So a galaxy could be viewed as a chord of music from the Big Bang. Are, are we tapping into that same energy and turning it into acoustic sound and like basically like channeling it, right? And so he's like, have whales come closer to communicating a universal music since they've had a 10 million year head start on humans? Um, is it possible that the universe sings? Is this where the idea of God comes from? Is some sort of like energy of the universe that vibrates through everything? Like, and then I wrote in my notes, I was like, aliens, aliens Alien. taught us all the same. Because <laughs> <laughs> then his next question was like, if we meet extraterrestrial life someday, like, do they abide by these same rules of music? Because it's really actually the, like, energy of the universe expanding. Like, oh, my God, it was crazy. It was so cool. <laughs> I came out yeah. of my room, and I'm pretty sure my roommates thought I was crazy. Because I was like, this just blew my mind. Wow. So, yeah. Aliens. Aliens, Aliens taught us all to sing. It also reminded me of the Doctor Who episode about sky whales. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Sky whales. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and then they had, right after Roger, they had this artist, um, Bernard Aba. He's French. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and he 
like heard the 1970 songs of the humpback whale record from roger payne and he like picked up a stand-up bass and just like played whale song on his bass and it sounds exactly like a whale singing Mm. so he played some of that music um but then he also explained like because he's like english is not his first language and so he's like maybe i'm saying this wrong but like i try to speak with my emotions and my emotion is music and I, so I try to speak with the world with music. Like he goes and communicates to the trees in his backyard with his music. He doesn't use words. And so like that kind of is like, maybe we should have been asking a musician to weigh in on whale song the whole time. Like <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah. To the science. How that, like how that transcends like across species, you know? So that was kind of cool. Um, Oh, and then there was one other um, researcher that was working on whale song named Beth Goodwin. And she's using gliders, like open ocean gliders, to detect whales, detect whale song outside of Hawaii. So she sent a glider from Hawaii to Mexico in 2018. And they were over, a, over 1,200 miles offshore. And they found, they detected whale song. So that leads them to believe that there is some sort of open ocean transfer between Hawaii and Mexico of whales moving between those two locations. In 2019, they sent the glider the other way. They sent it west from Hawaii, and they were over a thousand miles offshore and also detected whale song. So there's more going on in the Northwest Hawaiian Islands and between uh, there and Japan than anyone realized. Um, and she won't, she has a glider out right now going east again from Big Island to Mexico. And you can actually track it online. What? So That's that cool. Ju- yeah, it's called jupiterfoundation.org. And then it's slash H-U-M-P-A-C-S dash one. So humpbacks one, but it's spelled without a B and without a K. I'll we'll put the link in our show notes. That's pretty so cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's just day one, right? And that's just day one. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, ACS uh, also just released that they... Are they live? Are they available now? Yeah, I think it's available now. Oh, cool. I'll so, check those out. A lot of stuff for people to catch up on right now. Yeah. And then the first section of the Q&A that I did listen to, I think Flip Nicklin said kind of a cool quote that I think you can kind of just like take pretty much anywhere. He said when he was first working with Nat Geo, his boss said, I'm up to my eyebrows in photographers, but I'm only up to my ankles in new ideas. So if you want to get like into a field or into something and you want to be a standout person in that field, have a new idea to go with your skills is kind of what he was saying, which was cool. So then talking about all this whale song things, Eric sends me this paper that kind of like torpedoes it. (laughs) Um, So this journal just, this journal article just came out in Journal of Comparative Psychology uh, from Eduardo Mercado and a few other collaborators. I was only able to pull up the abstract. Yeah, I couldn't find the, the whole... Yeah, I might Whole email article. him and ask if he yeah. can send a copy of the paper and we can talk more about it. Um, but there's also in the University of, of Buffalo's website, kind of like more of like a science communication story about it. And basically their team is saying that the mechanism for humpback whale song to change may not be cultural transmission. It may be more like um, their kind of like how a DJ can't just plug any song in for the next song. It has to kind of like fit the, the theme and the structure of the previous song. Like when they're making a remix, you can't just go from like Sweet Caroline to like Ave Maria. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they have to kind of go together. So he's saying that um, they make changes, but in relation to what was preceding like what the previous section of the song was. So they're basically beat matching when they change the songs. And this they came up with this idea because they saw this mechanism for change across populations that had no social contact or 
genetic links and they compared 40 years worth of songs so like looking at the original 1970 Bermuda song compared to like 2012 off the coast of the Philippines like they're trying to really have a big difference to really see if that's like the true mechanism or not so I guess you could still kind of explain that like east to what or like west to east transformation across the south pacific if they're all following that rule of beat matching when they change the song because they're all there's only so many options to change right um but yeah kind of a lot of people think it's a cultural transmission thing where they're copying each other or learning from each other but really maybe they all just follow the same rules of composition and they just coincidentally have only so many compositions to pick from yeah i'm surprised that this hasn't been talked about more because it kind of literally takes everything we thought we knew and just like a big old f you to it flips it around yeah <laughs> yeah so we'll see if we can get the um we'll see if we can get the actual paper because it would be interesting to see like all the analysis and stuff yeah um, and we'll keep you posted on that if we are able to access it but yeah it kind of like reverses everything that we thought we knew yeah <laughs> science. exactly science science Trying to think, what else are we? You down your your list there? I think I'm, I think I'm good. Um, yeah, the rest of the stuff is right whales, and it's kind of sad. I don't know if you guys want to do that this episode or not. Uh, uh, uh I don't want to cry anymore. Okay, we'll do it quickly. We'll okay, just, like band aid, rip it off. Okay, so this, um, the first thing I want to talk about is there was some pushback for more northern right whale protections uh, in the state of Maine, um, especially with fishermen and having to close gear, air, close fishing areas, change gear, things like that. Um, but the other point that the article was making is that NIMS, or National Marine Fisheries Service, which is the federal agency responsible for protecting endangered marine species, has failed in their responsibilities regarding right whales. Um, so not only are the fishermen being put in a rock in a hard place situation, especially financially, um, a lot of it is too little too late in regards to actions from NIMS. Um, and even the stuff that they did put out late is not sufficient. So um, this was going on back in December. NIMS finally released um, some protection guidelines and planning information at the end of December. There's kind of an ongoing thing across all of the Eastern Seaboard to kind of remedy this. There's actually been a lawsuit put against NIMS, which is the next article we'll talk about. Um, but it was some interesting things in this article I read about in Maine is that they're actually claiming that there is over a million pot and line set gear in right whale habitat each year. Wow, a million, million sets of gear. That's, That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know where they got that data from. I'm assuming probably from like licensing information, but a million pots. Yeah, I'm just wondering if they're yeah they're counting that through the licensing or if they're actually physically going out going one two, you know. I would assume that most of it's licensing and then maybe extrapolating what the recreation yeah. is. Because you know, each like license yeah. has a certain yeah. amount of numbers. Because even number yeah, of them. but yeah. then you have recreational too. So because the same thing happened over here in Monterey, remember? Because the licensing for commercial fishing here, you know, in our sanctuary, people counted them, but went out there and it's like, well, there's actually not that many out there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's however many you're licensed for. It may not be how many you're actively soaking at any one time. Exactly. Um. And then the, the article did bring up the point that the fishermen really cannot bear the full cost of changing gear. It's expensive, especially when things are still in prototype stage. And so there should be uh, some sort of subsidy, especially from NIMS. If they're really trying to protect right whales, that's what they're, they're, they have money for that. They should be helping offset the cost of new gear for fishermen as part of their plan. Um, and then the current breakaway line gear recommendations that they have um the main issue that people are raising now is like having those weak points those break points in the line they're still too strong for juvenile animals already injured animals already entangled animals or sick animals to break still so your most vulnerable 
whales, the little ones, the weak ones, the already entangled ones, these breakaway lines will not help them. No good. Yeah. 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 So that was kind of interesting. I never really thought about that, but it totally makes yeah. sense. There's so much more to think about. I, I was talking to a crab guy the other day, and they were talking about the uh, the you know the line list stuff. And one thing to worry about is we all know fishermen, you know, especially us three. We worked with fishermen. They always go to they have their spots, right? Yeah. So so how are these crab guys gonna know that the spot they're gonna drop their their pots at, their buddy didn't already drop pots at? True. They're literally so they're just gonna, sitting on top of each There's going to be a pile of pots. And we know, you know, the guy's going to have their same place. You know, there's, there's, their string is always there, just, you know, the entire season, the same spot, you know. And then, you know, their their buddies <laughs> are going to be right there. So how do hey, we know? That's smart. I never thought about right? that part. Right? I mean, we, yeah. we all know fishermen, how they act and how they, where they go. They got their spots. So I mean, they're all going to pile be... up there. So then the question would be, if a pot knocks into another one while settling, like, what's the likelihood that they'd land on top of each other? Nobody's I mean, yeah, they're going to fish right, yeah. gonna fish right yeah. next to each other, and that's going to suck. They hate it when they yeah. set pots right on top you, of each You've other. been out here. You, 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 you two have been out here, you know, looked at, it's, you know, you'll see. It's like, aggravating. You know, yeah. yeah. Especially like... if you have <laughs> fresh bait landed next to your pot that the bait's already almost gone. Yeah. And you're about to come pick yours up. I I can see how it's a problem. Yeah. And especially um, places that are sm- like here at Monterey Bay, the guys like especially for Dungeons crab, it's it's this this these few you know sandy locations. So yeah, the pots uh, po- falling on top of each other. You're thinking, oh, the ocean's so big, but but they're fishermen. They go to the hot spots, and yeah, <laughs> it's gonna and they, happen. And they know the hot spots better than anybody does. Yeah. Um. Because that's literally their job. And, like, that's valuable, right? Yeah. Um, so then I guess maybe that needs to be a part of the testing of ropeless gear is, like, will they ricochet off each other without being damaged? Will they deploy and float without flipping over or damaging someone else's pot during retrieval? Like, those are things to think about when you're designing these. Because, yeah. like, what if you... I mean, I guess it would still self-right. But, like, what if you did the lift bag version where the CO2 yeah. inflates, inflates the bag and brings the pot up. Yeah. Another problem. You know how expensive crabs are going to be now? Yeah. Which they should be anyways. But, yeah. but like, dude, it's going to be like $100 per yeah. crab because of the CO2 yeah. cartridges alone. And another problem is they're, they're stealth now. Who knows who dropped something, you know? You're well, going to have something in an MPA. That's, that's something in an MPA. Yeah, you know, that's regulatory. I, yeah. That's the regulatory concern. That's fish and wildlife's concern, uh, is that you won't be able to tell if they're fishing in a no fish zone, and you won't be able to tell um, how many pots they have out versus yeah. how many they're permitted for that. Go back out. Yeah, they could go have six extra out. pots out. They're gonna yeah. go back out at night and then trigger it. You know, and yeah, which so that could just... be, that could be remedied with some yeah. buy-in from fishermen but that rapport building and that trust building is going to be a long haul between fishing game and yeah. fishermen, especially there's in california so many, there's so many things we haven't yeah. thought about like talking to the actual fishermen had me going like oh my god you guys are so right you know i was like Geez. yeah i mean the the regulation thing i i've been aware of the whole time since i first heard of this like four or five years ago but uh-huh. um and I feel like that hurdle's not as hard to solve. It's just that everybody's going to have to have some agreements and everybody's <laughs> yeah. going to walk away unhappy, but it's going to be a system that'll probably work. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's that's what's coming down the line. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about the lawsuit. So um, a few organizations have come together, Whale and Dolphin Conservation, Defenders of Wildlife, Conservation Law Foundation, and Center for Biological Diversity, and they have filed a legal petition again this year, uh, or last year, and basically it's like turned into a lawsuit level over the rulemaking petitions that NIMS has failed to enact in regards to ship strike for right whales. So uh, they filed a petition in June of 2012. It didn't go anywhere. They filed another one in August of 2020. Um, And so where they're at right now, is the conservation groups have now sued NIMS for their failure to respond to the two position, two petitions that they submitted. I legally don't know how all that works other than it's more pressure on NIMS to come to some sort of decision. Um, 
I don't know what the fallout is if Nims continues to ignore it, other than it looks bad. I don't really know what the punishment is in so, court. Yeah. And and what they want is is all vessels to reduce their speed to, to ten knots. Or ten slower. knots. Yeah, and, and including shorter than vessels shorter than sixty five feet as well as large ones. Yep. Yeah. So they want vessels of all size to abide by the 10 knot speed limit and it needs it's an enforceable regulation instead of a voluntary speed limit and then they wow. want to expand the time and space that it's enforced in look at that look at that photo the top left one yeah yeah crazy so the reason why they have they petitioned the second oh, time man. is because in 2020 uh so last season when they had that baby boom of 10 whales Two of them died from vessel strike. The ba just the baby. Yeah. So um, one like was like a newborn, and it died in January of 2020 off the coast of Georgia and Florida somewhere. And then the other one made it to six months old, and then was hit by a vessel off the coast of New Jersey, and then was hit again right afterwards and died. Uh, mm. These these they really were the right whale to kill, huh? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, so that was because of last year. Well, guess what happened last week? Yeah, I saw. It's pretty a bad. Right Even the mom. Calf. Yeah. The right mom, mom has a lot of scars too. Of yeah. Georgia got hit and the calf died. Mom's uh, doing okay. I think doing okay, right? They can't really yeah, track she's, her. Yeah, she's got prop scars. Yeah. Well, active prop wounds. Um. And Wait, is that her, the top left one? No. That's old, that's um, older, if right? you go down in our notes to below my... Um, on Facebook? Yeah, the Facebook one. So this is from Fish and Wildlife Research Institute in Florida. Um, on the evening oh, of February the 12th. Calf. Yeah, and the person, the person um, reported themselves. It was the evening time. Um, a 54-foot sport fishing vessel captain reported hitting a whale near the entrance of St. Augustine Inlet. Um, and the vessel was damaged and started taking on water. I don't know if they were... Wow. It's... If they hit the dead whale or if they are the ones that hit the whale. Because the props... The prop marks look huge for a 54-foot sport fishing Yeah, boat. they were big. Yeah, they were big props. Um, well, you, you realize this this whale got hit in the face already by another prop then. So this, it must have got hit twice because look at the prop, like look on the photo of the face up close. Those lines are yeah. from a prop. So yeah. it was hit in the face and the back. Oh. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if maybe the, the sport fishing boat hit the whale when it was dead already and the, the mom and the cat had been hit by a much bigger boat. Um, they're still trying to figure that out. One but, month old. Yeah. And look yeah, how so big was, it is. This was Infinity. Um, I think she's a first-time mom. Oh, all right. And so they did <laughs> they did aerial surveys and what the hell? they were able to recite Infinity out swimming in the ocean and she has prop scars on her body too. Yeah. Prop wounds on her body. Ugh. Why, why? What's up with the right whales? They just have it the worst on the planet, or what? They're slow. They're slow. slow. They're stubborn. Yeah. They're always at the surface. They yeah. eat at the surface. Mm -hmm. They skim feed, so it's yep. like, what the heck? Yeah. Yep. And because they skim feed, they're also very susceptible to nasty mouth entanglements, especially because of the shape of their mouth. Oh my gosh. Yeah. These animals, it's hard for Evolution them to Evolution did them dirty. Hard to coexist with humans when you're made like a right whale. So, wow, but that that's picture not sucks. That's I hate that photo. To coexist on our end because we're the ones putting all these obstacles in the water. People suck. Yeah. Um, so, I think, wow. unfortunately, even though it's a sad note, we'll end there. I had one other little article, but um, we can talk about it in another episode. It's just basically saying that. We can talk um, about it. There was some there was some estimates done with blue whales in particular. Um, I believe let me pull it up here. And they're doing like a yeah, in St. Lawrence, um, they're doing a scar assessment on blue whales to see if they're ac accurately um, capturing how high the risk of entanglement is in, in the life of a blue whale and a fin whale. And they originally thought that 
um, it wasn't a huge risk for blue whales and fin whales. And now they're finding that 60% of blue whales in their study had scars from being entangled at one point in their life and at least half of fin whales. Yeah. Wait, how did they get disentangled? Um, Roll around. Breathe. Break them because they're so big, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's why we don't see blue whales unless it's wrapped around the fluke. Like, they're just not as tangled as much. Yeah, I mean, they they have short flippers. True, right, compared so to the body, yeah. on the pecs isn't as big of a deal. They often are feeding at depth, like ideal feeding depth for blue whales for krill in California is like 150 meters. Yeah. So Pretty that's right. pretty deep. So not getting entangled in the mouth usually. Um, so yeah, maybe they're able to shed it off of their tails better than anyone else because of the shape and size of the fluke. Yeah. I don't know. But um, they use drones and photo ID and they estimated that 55% of fin whales and 40 to 60% of blue whales have been entangled at some point in their life. So this is a lot bigger issue for a lot more species than people are realizing. Yeah, I think every survey they've done kind of like that, looking at all like big cetaceans, it's, it's literally always more than half have, yeah. have entanglement scars. Does that blue yeah. whale look familiar, Eric? I've definitely seen blue whales with the tip of the flute. <laughs> you know what? Was there's that one a bunch named Delta or something? Delta. Delta. Each tip is, yeah, upturned. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. a whale that was reported entangled in Monterey Bay, wasn't it? Yeah. It was one of our Orange County hasn't, whales. Hasn't been seen since. 14, 15. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Um, lines and ropes and fishing gear, I guess. Yeah. I would just say the best thing to do is be an informed consumer about where your seafood comes from and think about what is it worth to you. Like I, I hardly ever ate crab or lobster before I really got involved with whales, but like now I don't eat it. And I also ask questions about like, how is the shrimp that I'm eating caught? You know, that kind of stuff. So like, that's what I do is I just don't eat it. Oh, but you know, it's it, it's for every person to decide what's going to be best for them. But just be an informed consumer. Know where your food comes from, and yeah. know what the risk is to wildlife when you're eating it. It's like you guys know me. I don't like to post sad photos to like get the point across. But like, dude, that right wheel photo sucks. Yeah, that's sad. The little guy. Like, imagine yeah. like you walk up to a store and it's like that's the photo. You're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to buy any food today. Yeah. You know? can you imagine if that was on on the window when you pick out the lobster out of the cooler yeah yeah and also think about where your things come from like can we get some of these cargo ships off the ocean can we somehow as a consumer demand that these ships abide by those speed limits when coming into port like can you buy things at your local farmer's market instead of it coming on a ship to get to you can you thrift shop for clothes instead of buying you know the latest fashion trend that came across a ship from asia to get to your market or from south america to get to your market like you know little things like that to just slow the global demand of movement of goods across the ocean so do it for the baby whales (laughs) sad Thanks for depressing us. I'm again. sorry. All right, Caitlin. Well, well, that was the last podcast with Caitlin. We had to let her go. <laughs> <laughs> She's too depressing. We'll talk about happy stuff next time. Um. Yeah, we'll try. Uh, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to pick happy. Yeah. But you know, this All is right, the yeah. reality of of our our very. Gotta go cry world. now. Yeah, I'm going to have Chipotle and cry. Right, I'm going <laughs> to try now. Go try my, cry my barbacoa. Don't be sad. So be better. Oh, you like sofritas? Those are good. All right. Well, we'll see you guys in episode 71. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're not following us on social media, it's the it's Whale Nerds on pretty much everything. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for following along with us. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it that would be helpful for us um that way we can get more listeners my wife my wife did that the other day she's like i reviewed you guys podcast because like, we only have one review i think on somewhere i don't know where she saw it but she she was listening to our episodes the other day oh 
So yeah, and thank you for the messages from folks that have been listening um, to the episodes and like reminiscing and re-listening to the episodes. And yeah. I like it when you guys text us that stuff. That's fun. So thanks for following along. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>